1: We now turn to another health problem that contributes to disability and death. Older Canadians are over-medicated. More than one in three Canadian Zoomers fill prescriptions for what are considered to be risky medications that researchers now believe should be avoided in patients over the age of 65, a lot of these are antipsychotic drugs that are not being prescribed appropriately. They make people dozy and they increase the risk of falls and they interact with other drugs and they can hasten dementia rather than helping that condition. And on top of all the health problems, it's costing us a fortune. billion. According to our next guest, the author of this report, Steve Morgan, professor of health policy at the University of British Columbia, where he joins us now. Hello, Steve. Hello there. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. So this is just the latest piece of evidence that our senior citizens, our Zoomers are basically being drugged. what are the key points here? I think there's a couple of things.
2: The first one is to know that the what our study did was look at a list of medicines that's maintained by the American Geriatrics Society as a list of medicines that should be avoided in older patients. These are not necessarily medicines that are uh, uh, unsafe when used by younger people, but as we get older, uh, metabolic changes means that the balance of risks and benefits from medicine sometimes becomes worse as for older po- populations, and it's not unusual. We, as, as you reported, about one-third of older Canadians uh, receive at least one prescription for one of the drugs on this list of medicines that should be, generally speaking, avoided in older patients.
1: Could you just go through some of those drugs um, so that our listeners can know if they're taking any of this stuff?
2: Yeah, and it probably the one that most listeners may be exposed to in terms of uh, the, the overwhelming uh, majority of the inappropriate prescriptions that we found in Canadian provinces was uh, prescriptions for what are referred to as benzodiazepines and similar sedatives. These are drugs that are routinely used to treat an, uh, insomnia and anxiety disorders. And what are some of the other names for those drugs? Well, they, they they come in. A, there's a variety of names for them. People will, will be familiar with um, things like lorazepam and Zopaclone and, and other treatment names. Uh, there's a there's a whole host of them. So it's best that patients actually go speak with their doctors or pharmacists to understand whether they happen to be on one. Uh, these medicines, for instance, the benzodiazepine uh, classes of medicines, they they can be safe in short-term use, but they are habit-forming, and for older patients, the uh, effects of them are, are more significant, and therefore, they can result in things like dizziness and falls, And even car accidents, and of course, those sorts of things result in fractures, which result in hospitalizations, which for older patients is quite a concern.
1: Now, you you talk about uh, these drugs being prescribed for people over the age of 65 as opposed to under the age of 65. Is is that like some kind of magic line, or does it depend on the person and their level of fitness, or?
2: Well, so the American Geriatric Society, which maintains the list that we use, which is referred to as the Beers criteria, named after a a pharmacologist by the name of Beers, um, they have a list that that documents for for older patients. Generally speaking, it's over 65. For some medicines, and for some of these lists, it's patients over 70. Um, And and for the medicines that we looked at in our study, most of these are pretty clear-cut. So, for instance, the benzodiazepines, Um, it doesn't really matter how old you are, how fit you are. If you are using these on long-term basis, more than say 30 days or 60 days in a year, um, they are probably both creating some problems in terms of being habit forming, but also elevating your risk of, of various side effects. And the reason it's important to study this is not that we want people to suddenly cut cold turkey off of the medicines that they might be on. That can actually cause harm as well. It's important to know that Patients can, with adequate support, uh, get off of some of these treatments. Um, In some cases, the treatments on these lists are for conditions we think patients should treat. So, for instance, some of the medicines on these lists are for treating pain or hypertension or other conditions, which need to be treated but could potentially be better treated with other drugs or with non-drug treatments.
1: Right. Um, Is part of the problem, you know, often people get a prescription and they just keep taking the stuff rather than reviewing uh, every once in a while. You know, does it make sense? Should I still be on this?
2: Yeah, and I think that is actually one of the challenges is that um, patients might have been on a, a treatment for for many years and, and don't necessarily know that perhaps it's time uh, to check in to see, are these still the right treatments for me? And, and that relates to another problem, which is um, both the expectations of patients and what providers of care think their patients want and the degree to which those things are clearly communicated are people actually talking about their medicine use and about whether or not you know there could be different medicines or even non-medical treatments that would be helpful for them
1: so uh you've mentioned the uh, benzodiazepines what are some of the other drugs that that people should be careful about
2: Well, again, uh, important for people to to speak with their their pharmacists, doctors, or nurses about their particular regimen, but there are some uh, treatments, for for instance, a particular hypertension treatment called nifedipine, which in older patients can, uh, in some sense, be uh, too good in the sense that people... Uh, can have episodes of severe low blood blood pressure, which can be quite pro- problematic. And there are, again, other treatments that the patients could be switched to. There are some of the older antidepressants referred to as tertiary tricyclic antidepressants or TTAs. Um, again, in older populations, those medicines uh, sh- can and, and, and should be substituted for uh, uh, newer types of antidepressants or for cognitive behavioral therapy or other treatments that might be effective as well.
1: Okay, I'm going to uh, give the numbers out again. If people have comments or questions, maybe they want to know if they happen to be on a drug that maybe they should not be on. It's 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. And I'm on the line with Steve Morgan at the University of British Columbia, and we were talking about uh, medications that people should not be on past the age of 65, and how many people are on those meds, and how much they cost. Uh, Steve Morgan, $400 million?
2: Yeah, it's quite a number, isn't it? This is $400 million just for the prescriptions themselves. Uh, We were surprised. In fact, ours is the first study ever to calculate this for Canada. Um, But it's real money. Uh, $400 million is a lot of investment. And secondary to that is that if you added the expected costs in terms of the adverse events that are associated with using risky medicines, we estimate that Canada-wide, that adds about a $1.4 billion in additional hospital costs that stem from falls, fractures, and other adverse events from using uh, these medicines. So in total, we're looking at nearly $2 billion likely being spent in our healthcare system as a consequence of these potentially inappropriate prescriptions, which is a significant amount of money, not to mention, of course, the health uh, and well-being of the patients that can be affected by these.
1: Okay so um you're telling us but but shouldn't there be some kind of guideline or directive to GPs I'm I'm pretty sure that they would be the ones prescribing most of this
2: Yeah, and there are. I mean, the the documents that we use referred to as the Beers Criteria from the American Geriatric Society, they're fairly widely available. In fact, I've got a handheld version of them uh, right now in my hands, uh, and these can be available to doctors in their offices. The problem is more about the sort of system and, and the culture of medicine use. Doctors report that they feel quite a bit of pressure to continue to prescribe medicines, even though they may be on these kinds of lists, in part because maybe some other doctor started the patient on that treatment and they feel a bit of peer pressure to keep them on uh, in part because they feel the patients really want the drugs and therefore they don't uh, have the option to switch them off. And then partly because, this is I think in Canada an important issue, is that Whereas seniors in many provinces might have reasonable drug coverage, they may not have coverage for things like the counseling or other therapies that would help them get off of some of these medicines. So wow. doctors report that, well, maybe they'll just stick with the use of the medicine because these other services just aren't available or at least not available to many people who don't have you know, private insurance to cover them.
1: Mm-hmm. And are, are is it also that people might be resistant to, if they're... Uh, you know, you're making it sound like they're addicted
2: to some of these drugs. Yeah, and some of them, and, and some of the patients truly are. And, and, and again, if we go back to the, those benzodiazepines and similar uh, hypnotics that are used for uh, insomnia and anxiety disorders, there's no question. I, I talk to a lot of my clinical colleagues, and myself. I'm an economist by training, but I work with a lot of doctors in my research. And my clinical colleagues routinely report that you know, when you when they talk to their patients about possibly weaning off of some of these treatments, their patients get scared, and understandably so. However, uh, Cara Tenenbaum, a geriatrician and one of the co-authors of my study, who's a professor at uh, McGill University, uh, she's run a very uh, interesting clinical trial in Quebec that showed that you can actually empower patients, families, and healthcare providers to effectively wean off these treatments without the kinds of side effects that I think patients are fearful of. So we just need to make the investment. We need to put some money up front into providing proper care so that patients can come off of these prescriptions, which are costing us hundreds of millions of dollars.
1: Okay. Now, your report, how does this play into, we've we've seen a number of reports about uh, drug use, uh, prescription drug use in long-term care homes. And we've seen that uh, antipsychotic drugs are being used inappropriately, just to to uh, make people basically easier to manage.
2: Yeah, and so the study that we ha- did uh, was from pr- public drug claims databases in nine of the ten Canadian provinces, and in most of those provinces, long term care facilities are included in the databases. Um, Patients in long-term care account for a fairly small proportion of the overall population of older Canadians, so that's not likely to influence our results much. But I can tell you from research that's sort of a more fulsome investigation of patterns of medicine use here in British Columbia, we have found that the rates of of this form of inappropriate prescribing are uh, perhaps alarmingly even higher in long-term care facilities where you would hope that we would be able to provide, again, the sort of uh, non-pharmaceutical supports that help people either deal with their anxieties or sleeplessness or or other conditions that that might be managed. And again, at least help switch them from uh, a a treatment that is perhaps risky to a comparable treatment, uh, pharmaceutical treatment with lower risk profiles
1: mm mm-hmm. And people probably aren't aware that there's something else that they can take. Is there a problem also perhaps with continuity of of care?
2: Yes, yeah, certainly we know, uh, for instance, surprisingly, um, about a third of, of older Canadians uh, receive care from five or more different prescribers or different doctors that may wow. write them a prescription. Um, and having uh, multiple care providers is a risk of inappropriate prescriptions, in part because one provider may not know what the other provider is doing and therefore may write a prescription that could could be um doubling up on a medicine that, that should only be taken in shorter course or in lower doses. So the uh, pharmacist
1: probably can catch this as long as they just go to one pharmacy.
2: If, yeah, or if you live in a province as, such as British Columbia, which is a great example of a province that has a population-wide data system that no matter what pharmacy you go to, uh, information is collected uh, in a common data set uh, by the province and warning uh, signs are provided to the pharmacies. What we would like to see, and one of the things that we call for in this paper, is a true national strategy to improve prescribing. Yep. Uh, that, would in- that would include uh, investments uh, in information systems so that all provinces had the kind of data that British Columbia has. And importantly, investments in electronic prescribing and decision aids so that not just the pharmacist gets to see those data, but your doctors and nurse practitioners see them when they're talking with you and writing you a prescription. Okay.
1: Um, We only have a few seconds left, so uh, just uh, leave it with you. Is there anything you'd like to add to leave us with?
2: I think the the main thing is that, you know, I think it's time for us to have a bit of a cultural change around medicine use. Uh, Again, part of the national strategy that we call for is a public education campaign to empower uh, patients and families of of older patients so that they can begin the conversation about medicine use and and begin to ask questions without uh, fear and and also with uh, a degree of confidence that they can find reliable information that's not necessarily just advertising for another treatment.
1: OK. Steve Morgan, Professor of Health Policy at the University of British Columbia, thanks so much for that. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one.